Amen. Well, please take your Bibles, and we're in the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, this morning. And uh, we're up to verses 9 through 12. Our message series is called Lessons from a Growing Church. We're working our way through a a number of lessons we can learn as a church from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians uh, here in the Bible. And uh, today's lesson has to do with our public witness uh, as a church. How can we as a church present a positive public testimony for Christ in the community? And we find some very practical answers uh, to that question in our text today. Uh, So in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 12, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And, in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we pray that you would take these very important verses. Uh, Holy Spirit, you inspired these words. Uh, uh, Lord God, you've preserved these words for us for today. And now we ask that you would speak these words into our lives and hearts, that we may live them out uh, throughout the week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So how can the church present a positive public testimony for Christ in the community? How should the church and and those believers within the church, how how should we present ourselves to those outside the church? Should the church even care about its reputation in the community? Because some churches would say no. They would say, who cares what the world thinks, right? Right? The world's going to hate us anyways. Didn't Jesus say that we'd be persecuted? And, and, and so they, they cut themselves off from the community around them. And yes, Jesus did say to expect persecution, but sometimes the church experiences unnecessary persecution. Some churches seem to wear contempt for the community as a badge of honor. It's almost as though they feel like they're not being good Christians unless the community is against them. But I want to tell you this morning, there's nothing particularly noble or godly about having a bad reputation in the community. It's one thing to suffer for the gospel or for God's word, but it's another to suffer because we failed to present a positive public testimony for Christ. We should care about our church's reputation in the community because God cares about our church's reputation in the community. The Bible says we live in the world, not of the world, but we do live in the world. And why does God care so much about our reputation? Because our public testimony for Christ depends upon our reputation. And our public testimony for Christ will either help or hinder the spread of the gospel in the community. And so as we study our past this morning, I want us to think about the following questions. How do the people in our community view us as a church? How do the people in our community view the members 
of our church. How do the people in the community view you as a member of our church? Do you present a positive public witness for Christ in your life? These are really important questions for us to consider, and they're important for the church of Thessalonica as well. So Paul, Paul wrote to them about their public testimony, and he tells them that their public testimony, their reputation in the community, that basically depends on two things, how they relate to each other, and then how they relate to those outside the faith. So how do you present a positive public testimony for Christ in the community? Paul says basically you got to do two things. and uh, They're in your outline and your worship guide if you'd like to take that out to follow along. Two things, love each other in the family of God. And number two, work to earn the respect of those outside the family of God. So let's start with the first one. First, you must love each other in the family of God. That's where it all begins. Love each other. In the family of God. We see this in verses 9 and 10. Now about brotherly love we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. And yet we urge you brothers to do so more and more. And so you notice where Paul begins. He begins by addressing the relationships within the church. Right? We should love each other within the local church. If you want to have a positive public testimony outside the church, you've got to begin by loving each other in the church. And within the local church, God tells us that we love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And the word that's translated brotherly love here in verse 9 is the Greek word Philadelphia. You say, I've heard that word before, right? It means brotherly love. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. There's a, another city named Philadelphia in the New Testament. You, can, you find that in Revelation chapter 3. Now, outside the New Testament, in the Greek language, this word Philadelphia was almost always used of just one thing. Actual brothers and sisters in a family, okay? You know, flesh and blood, brothers and sisters in the same family. Inside the New Testament, you almost always find this word used just in a different way of believers together in the church. Because when you come to Christ, you become a part of the family of God. And as such, you gain a new love for other Christians. We're not just fellow church members, okay? We're that too. But we are family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. I like the way John Stott puts it. He says, it is natural that those who know God as their father should love one another as sisters and brothers in his family. Now, this was one area where the Thessalonians were doing real good, right? In fact, they were doing so well, Paul told them, he said, I really don't even need to write you about this, okay? He literally says, there's no need for me to write you. Now, the Thessalonians had needs in other areas. They had gaps in other areas, such as holiness and hard work and the resurrection and, and Christ's return. But in this area, there was no need. There was no gap. When it came to brotherly love, they were doing just fine. And the thing is, we can do fine, you can do fine in this area too if you do one thing. Same thing they did. If you allow God to teach you by his Holy Spirit. That's what Paul wrote in verse 9. He said, about brotherly love, he said, we don't need to write you, okay? Because you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. He says, I don't need to teach you. God's already teaching you. 
Paul even invented a new word for this. It's the first time we see it anywhere. God taught. It was a, a new word. He sort of put together in the original language. And to be God taught doesn't point so much to that, you know, that you're looking at a command on a page like love one another. Okay, well, God teaches us to love one another. No, this talks about personal teaching, personal experience. God teaching you in your life and in your personal experience. It points to your relationship with God as your daily teacher. And so how does God do that? How does he teach us to love each other? Through the Holy Spirit, right? Through the Holy Spirit as he lives and dwells in our hearts. In fact, if you look back at verse 8, the verse right before this, how did Paul describe God? If you look, you see it says, God who gives, who gives you his Holy Spirit. So so Paul looks at the Thessalonians and he just marvels at this, this amazing love they have for each other. He says, this is not a natural love. We do not naturally love non-family members the same way as we do our own brothers and sisters in our family. So this is a supernatural love. He sees God's hand at work. He says, Thessalonians, you are God-taught. God taught you how to do this. You've been taught by the Holy Spirit to love each other. And the same is true for us today. If you want to learn true love for your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, you must learn it from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the counselor that Jesus left with us to teach us and to guide us into all truth. When Paul writes this, it's not even in past tense. Uh, It's hard to translate it, but he's not just saying you, you have been taught by God. He's saying you are being taught by God right now. In other words, God is continually teaching us in this area of love for each other. As believers, we are still in school with the Holy Spirit every day. And so you you can keep learning or you can drop out, but you don't graduate from this particular school until you reach heaven. Always growing, always learning. So God tells us to love each other within the local church. And then he says to love those outside your church as well, right? And we should particularly love those in other churches. Look at verse 10 with me now where Paul writes. He says, in fact, he says, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Remember, the Thessalonians have been active in in sharing the gospel throughout their region. And so there are other churches. There's the church at Philippi and Berea and other churches in this area. They not only loved each other within their own church, they loved all of their brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the whole area. And that is a powerful lesson for us as a church today, isn't it? There should not be a spirit of competition between local churches, but rather a spirit of brotherly love. If a church is a true church, faithful to the gospel, faithful to God's word, then we are all brothers and sisters together. In the family of God. And then uh, Paul says you should always keep growing in your love for others. Always keep growing. You know, some churches can become ingrown. And we forget to practice love outside of our fellowship. Sometimes the church is a friendly church, but only to each other. And that's good. I'm glad the church is friendly with each other, but we've got to go beyond that, Right? Now, I thank God that we have a reputation as a friendly church. I hear that from people all the time. But you know what? Sometimes we still miss people. Sometimes we fail to make that extra effort to welcome a guest or a newcomer. That's what Paul's saying here. There's always room for improvement. The goal is always more love. More love. We see that in Paul's next phrase where he says, 
we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. And Paul just loves this phrase, more and more. This is the third time we've seen it in this letter. We saw it back in chapter 3, verse 12, where he said, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow. That's that word for more and more. We saw it at the beginning of this chapter last week, verse 1, uh, where Paul said, we, we, we told you how to live in order to please God. Now we ask you and urge you, do this more and more. Please God, more and more. And that was a general instruction. Now he gives us a specific application of that, a specific example in your love. Let your love be more and more for each other. And by using this phrase three times in such a short space, Paul shows us that this is really an important aspect of the Christian life. That we should always be growing, always increasing, always abounding, overflowing. The Christian life is not just about growth, but abundance. It's one thing to say, yeah, I'm growing in, I'm growing in Christ. Yeah, I, I, I grew this much last year. You know, it's like, okay, well, you're growing. That's good. But God wants more than just growth. He wants you to be overflowing, overflowing in growth. When Jesus spoke about the Christian life, he spoke about an abundant life. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly, overflowing. The Old Testament, Psalm 23, uh, the psalmist says the same thing. He says, my cup runneth over. See, that's what the Christian life is all about. It's an overflowing, abundant life. It's spiritual growth, which pleases God, blesses the believer, and ministers to other people. Now, the Thessalonians were not the only believers who practiced brotherly love. In fact, the early church was known for their love. They had a reputation for their love for each other. The pagan non-believers around them may have despised their beliefs, but they could not deny their love. And you read some of the early letters, not from Christians, even from non-Christians. This is what they say about the Christians. They say a lot of bad things about what we believe and stuff like that. But they said this, see how they love each other. See how they love each other. That was the testimony. That was the reputation of the early church. The pagans said, you know, they're crazy. They think that, you know, that they worship someone who they think was a, a son of God. And, and they, they eat, eat, eat bread and drink wine. And, you know, we, we don't understand them. But you know what? They love each other. See how they love each other. And when we practice God's commandments to love, when we go to school with the Holy Spirit on this matter, when we allow ourselves to be taught by God himself to love. I can't wait for that same words to ring from the world around us once again. See how they love each other. Don't you want that reputation in the community? That needs to be our reputation as Christians. It's such an important part of our public testimony before a watching World. If we don't love each other in the body of Christ, we're going to have a hard time convincing other people about the truth of the gospel. Jesus said it himself, John 13, 35. He said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. So how do you present a positive public testimony for Christ as a church? It begins within. First of all, you must love each other in the family of God. Love, and now we move to respect. Number two, secondly, you must work to earn the respect of those outside the family of God. 
I want you to go to verses 11 and 12 now. And here Paul is going to shift his focus from our relationships within the body of Christ now to our relationships with those outside the body of Christ. Verses 11 and 12. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Let's break down these two verses. In verse 11, God gives us three commands. Three commands concerning our relationships with those outside the body of Christ. The first one is this. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. It's kind of a funny phrase at first. That phrase, make it ambition, comes from a word that means to love or seek after honor, to labor or strive towards an end, to make something your goal or aim. He says, so put all of your effort into doing what? Into living a quiet life, right? Simply means to be quiet, to be silent, or to rest. This part of this verse, this first command, this is a call to live a simple life. In other words, if you want to have a good reputation in your community, if you want to win the respect of outsiders, as Christians, we should not be running around crazy here and there. But our lives should be quiet, focused, purposeful. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. And here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul takes that verse from the Psalms and he applies it to your daily life. He says that your, your Christian life in the community should reflect that sense of quiet peace and rest in the Lord. This also means that as Christians, we should avoid unnecessary public controversy. The only offense we should ever present to others is the offense of the gospel. We must be bold in proclaiming the gospel and God's word, but we should do our best not to be viewed as troublemakers in the community. Whether in our schools or town meetings or condo associations, you know, some people just seem to live for controversy. They love to stir that pot, right? We see, as Christians, we shouldn't do that. The gospel is our first priority, and we must not allow anything to jeopardize our witness for Christ. And so when Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, he's being very intentionally ironic here. Because we usually think of ambition, labor, and striving as strenuous activity. And Paul turns it all around, basically saying, strive to be still. I like the way one, one translator put it. Make it your ambition to have no ambition. You know, it, it, it's, it's ironic. God calls us not to be restless, but to be restful. Restful in him. Live simply. Live quietly. Do few things, but do them well. That's the first command. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Now, the second command is one we all need to hear. Ready? Mind your own business. Okay, it's right there. Mind your own business. We used to have a phrase with our kids when they were growing up in the house when they'd start meddling in each other's stuff, and we would say to them, M-Y-O-B. And they knew what that meant. M-Y-O-B, mind your own business. Well, guess what? We didn't make that up. It's right out of the Bible. It's right here. 
The phrase here literally means you take care of your own, you manage what pertains to you, you tend to your own affairs, M-Y-O-B, mind your own business, take care of your own concerns, and let others take care of theirs. Now, you you still love and care for people and, and help in ways, but you mind your own business. And you know, these first two commands, they go together, don't they? Because restless and purposeless activity often leads to what? Meddling in other people's concerns. And apparently this was an area the Thessalonians were struggling with. They were restless. We see this again and again. Paul has to keep reminding them, hey, guys, go to work. You know, he has to say that to them. They're restless. And instead of attending to their own lives, they're poking their noses into other people's business. And God says, that's hurting your reputation. Live quietly, restfully. Stay out of other people's business. Focus on managing your own life well instead. And then God adds the third command, work with your own hands. And God is saying, be responsible workers in society. And the word here sometimes refers to manual labor, literally working with your hands. Sometimes it just simply means carrying on any business or trade, whether it's manual or some other type of labor. But it includes manual labor. And you know what? The Greek society at that time, they looked down on manual labor. They saw that as something shameful or disdainful. But God looks at work very differently. Everywhere the Bible honors and commends hard physical work. Think about it. Jesus was a carpenter, manual labor. Paul made tents. We are to do all things to the glory of God, and that includes your work. Whether you're blue collar or white collar, whether you do manual labor, you got a desk job, it is all work, and it should all be done to God's glory. The emphasis here is on working hard rather than being restless or idle. Some people work to make a living. Others work hard at home and uh, managing the home and the kids. Younger people work hard at school. Some older people are retired and they no longer work to produce an income, but they're still active in life. Whatever your situation, God calls you to work hard And to be productive with your life. It is a matter both of stewardship and testimony. You see, like it or not, the majority of our waking hours each day are given to work. Okay, that's the lot that God has assigned to us. So that means if if you're tired at the end of a long day's work, good for you. Okay, you're doing what what, what God has called you to do. Hard work is part and parcel of our human experience. It is an essential part of living obediently to God and pleasing God in all areas of your life. And so God gives us these three commands in verse 11. Live quietly. M-Y-O-B, mind your own business. Number three, work with your hands. And then now finally in verse 12, he tells us the reason, the purpose behind these commands. Verse 12 says this, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. He gives us two reasons for these commands. They both have to do with your public testimony in the community. Let's let's finish out with these two purposes now. The first reason is this, so that your daily life will win the respect of outsiders. And this implies that there are certain expectations in a community. There are certain cultural norms or standards. Now, last week we were talking about sexual immorality, a 
a part of our culture that's accepted in our culture but is sinful, right? And in that case, we talked about being cross-cultural. We talked about swimming against the stream of what is accepted by the culture. We talked about the fact that God does not accommodate his commands to the culture. However, that does not mean that as Christians we should never accommodate ourselves to the culture. We must refuse to compromise when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to God's commands. But there are many areas where we can and should adapt ourselves to the culture around us. Why? In order to win the respect of others that we may also win a hearing for the gospel. Once again, some churches, some Christians don't understand this. They make a point of being countercultural. In every single aspect of their lives. And they feel that if they join with the community or join the mainstream in any way that they're compromising their Christian, Christian faith. And all they succeed in doing is alienating other people and separating themselves from those with whom they need to share the gospel. You see, culture is not the dividing line between Christians And non-Christians, between Christian and non-Christian behavior, it's not culture. Sin is the dividing line. And so as Christians, we must participate in community and culture. We must participate in this world that God has created. We must work to earn the respect of those outside the body of Christ. That's the first reason. The second reason is this. Paul writes, so that you will not be dependent on anybody. God wants you to work with your own hands so that you will have no need for others to support you. Once again, this all goes together, right? A life full of restless activity, meddling or interfering in other people's business, idleness leading to dependency. See, these things will not win the respect of anybody. Such a person or church presents a poor testimony for Christ. Instead, God calls us to be Quiet, non-interfering, hardworking, responsible, productive, contributing, respected members of society. This will present a positive public testimony for Christ, which in turn will assist the spread of the gospel. So our message today was called love and respect. That's, that's the two parts, right? So two parts, just in a quick little phrase. When it comes to relationships within the body of Christ, the key word is love, specifically brotherly love. We love each other as brothers and sisters in the family of God. It's part of your public testimony, part of our public testimony. And then when it comes to relationships outside the body of Christ, the key word here is respect. We must live in such a way as to earn the respect of non-believers. The goal of both is the same. Love and respect come together to present a positive public testimony for Christ, which opens the doors for the gospel in the community. God calls you to love each other in the church and to be a respected citizen in your community. Both are equally important parts of your testimony. Both are essential for effective witness for Christ through the gospel. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. It challenges us on a different level. A lot of times we we come to church and we hear things about church, and that makes sense. We're here. And uh, there's so much that we need to learn about uh, being, being Christians in the church. But Lord, 
you have such bigger plans for us. Everything we do matters. Everything. And uh, Lord, we, we're out there Monday through Saturday in the world. What's our reputation? What are we communicating? And so, Lord, I thank you for the guidance that you give us in your word this morning. And I pray, Lord, that we would take it to heart, uh, that we would care about our reputation as a church and as a believer uh, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, in our schools, in our communities, and that we would present a positive public testimony for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.